In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Trying to map out the future in 30 and trying to say where we're going if we'll just trust God, it'll come out very different, but it'll come out just right. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, host of Spotify's number one Christian podcast for men and your guide to help you become your best version even in the midst of that stress bubble of life while you're loving your wife you're uh, raising your children you're trying to be your best version we want to help you be that best version in that bubble and beyond and so thanks for tuning into this episode guys i am really excited about today's guest i'm going to tell you something over this shoulder i have stacks and stacks of books there are over a hundred books i've read over the last 30 years just on the topic of leadership. Our guest today is a God-driven leader with a history of leadership. He wrote a book that I could probably throw all the other books off the shelf and just put that book there. It's a new paradigm of leadership. Uh, it's a God-driven model of leadership. It's a move away from the business-driven model that has uh, inundated the churches. And I'm really excited about bringing this guest on today to share with you his style of leadership and how a man can use it to lead his family. Guys, this is going to blow you away. It's a paradigm that you've thought about, but you've been confused as a leader because you've been told more of a business-driven model. I think this is really going to bless you guys today. But before we get into our guest introducing him, I want to walk through a man law that we have today. Remember, our man laws are supplied by you, our heroes. So whenever we hear one of those man laws from you, we want to give you a a gift just to say thank you. Just send us your physical address at info at manarena.org and we will send you some swag just to say thank you. This one today actually comes from my oldest son, James. We are elk hunting this weekend and we decided to rally because we weren't getting into the elk the way we wanted to. We put our camo makeup on our faces. We actually put a reel on uh, Instagram. You can go check it out. But we came to the realization that real men don't wear makeup unless it's camo. So anyway, hey, James, hit me up, son, and I'll uh, throw you some swag. So anyway, uh, you know my address and I know yours. Anyway, uh, this week's hero stories from another woman. Our women are really sounding off, guys. Uh, we're really impacting the wives out there. 
and wives, we sure appreciate you writing in with your hero stories. This one comes from Nikki on Instagram. She says, my marriage is in a lot of trouble. I'm desperate to save it. My husband is not a believer. I think God is asking me to hold space for him to come to Jesus. And so I am. I'm reading a lot of, I'm reading a lot and following your podcast to try and understand him more. Plus I have a 14 year old son and I'm trying to raise into a godly and a good man while his dad is absent and abandoned us and is giving up. Thanks so much for the awesome episodes and for empowering me as a mother to equip my son, even if my husband and marriage are falling apart, man, that's, that's a tough story. Uh, Nikki, we're praying for you and your marriage. And we just uh, are so thankful that you're committed to Jesus, committed to raising your son in a godly way and committed to making space for God to do that miracle. Cause you never know when that miracle is going to come in your marriage. So just praying for your husband that, that God would, uh, uh, get a hold of him and transform him and that you would have the miracle you've been praying for. So God bless and hit us up at info at menintherena.org with your address with saying some swag. All right. Thanks, Nikki. Hey guys, thank you again for making the men in the arena podcast. Spotify's number one podcast in the world for Christian men. Guys, we've got a great guest on today. Dr. Roger Parrott. <laughs> He's been married to his beautiful wife, Mary Lou for 47 years. Dr. Parrott is president of Bellhaven university in Jackson, Mississippi, which is one of the fastest growing and most innovative colleges serving 5,000 students, including students at an online campus in China. Bellhaven was also named one of America's best colleges to work for by the Chronicle of Higher Education. Roger was named one of the top 10 most visionary education leaders of 2021 by education Mag magazine and is one of the longest serving university presidents in america serving over 30 years as a president he's the author of opportunity leadership stop planning and start getting results which is our subject for today and man i'm so excited to have this guy guys i'm gonna tell you i told uh roger offline but i'm gonna tell you guys i have 140 books right here that I've read over the last 20 years, all on leadership. And guys, I'm being really honest. I want to throw them all away and put his book there. His book <laughs> is really that good. You are going to love learning what it means to lead your families through what he's written in this book. So, so Roger, it is really an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, it, this is my treat. This is my treat because I love what you're doing and I love how you're helping guys. And, uh, and you know, if, if we can be of a benefit to people today, uh, I'm thrilled because, yeah, the book is very different. So we'll talk about some of that. This is, uh, this is very different from most of the other leadership books out there. Well, the so. funny part is you're named one of the top 10 most visionary leaders in education. And the funny part is, is your, your subtitle of your book is Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. <laughs> It's so counterintuitive. And when I, uh, I, the book came in the mail, I don't know how I got the book. The book showed up and I thought, what is this? It's another leadership book. And I just, I, I'm blown away personally. It's been a game changer for me. And so I want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you for this. I looked at the mission statement at Bellhaven University and it says this, Bellhaven University prepares students academically and spiritually to serve Christ Jesus in their careers, in human relationships, and in the world of ideas. Bellhaven University affirms the lordship of Christ over all aspects of life, acknowledge the Bible as the foundational authority for the development of a personal worldview, and recognizes each individual's career as a calling from God. I'll tell you what, in this day and age where higher education uh, is, is a little bit under fire, I really appreciate 
that mission statement. I am so impressed. I'm really excited to dive into this interview. Well, and the mission gets lived out. I mean, you know, I can write statements all day long, but they don't matter if the faculty and the football coach don't do it, but they yeah. really do do it. And, uh, you know, again, that's not why we were doing this uh, uh, discussion today, but, you know, we've done some really innovative things to help families. I just did a five-part series on the real cost of college because most families don't understand the real cost of college. Yeah. It, and I showed them how they'll save Fifty to sixty thousand dollars by coming to Bellhaven instead of going to a state university, and uh, and that includes that we give a double major free with for the if it goes into the fifth year you go for free on the fifth wow. year, and we give every student a free master's degree a free master's degree for every single student who graduates. So and, you know that's not why we're talking today, but but yeah, uh, our mission gets lived out in in the lives of our faculty, our staff, our students, and, and it's a pretty uh, marvelous place to be. Oh, man, that's so cool. I, that is so cool. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself to give our listeners context. Well, I, you know, I grew up in the home of a college president, and this was probably the last thing I wanted to do, but God had a better plan, and uh, and Mary Lou's best thing that ever happened in my life, other than the Lord, and uh, together we've had this amazing journey, uh, 34 years uh, as a college president. Before that, I was with the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization, working with Billy Graham, and before that, pastoring uh, Nazarene Church, and uh uh, you know, so it, it just, it, nothing planned, nothing I thought life would be came out that way. And that's what I find with most everybody. What we think when we're 20 something and trying to map out the future and 30 and trying to say where we're going, if we'll just trust God, it'll come out very different, but it'll come out just right. And I don't ever expect it to spend my life in Mississippi, but I love it. <laughs> Well, you said something there that's very powerful, Roger. You said, if we would just trust God. And that really is what this book is about. And honestly, this book, uh, as it gains popularity, and it should gain popularity, it's going to tick a lot of people off. Because in the church, we've kind of adopted a business model of leadership. And your book flies in the face of that. Let me Let me read a quote from your book. You said this relinquishing planning is the single best thing I've ever done in my professional ministry life. And also the scariest, it was complex to accomplish, but also simple. And even though it took a long time to implement, it changed everything over a night. So let's just jump right in. Your book is called opportunity leadership. Tell us about how this came to be and why you've given it that title. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was a traditional planner, so I've done all that. I've, I've done what's on the shelves of your 150 books there, and, <laughs> and I followed all that, too. And I had the, you know, in, especially in higher education, a, a future plan is really important. And so what we do in my arena is you appoint a committee. It's always a blue ribbon committee. I don't know why blue ribbon and what that <laughs> means, but you always appoint a blue ribbon committee, and then you put various people on that, and then everybody holds their breath for a year and a half while that committee meets and they come out with some document um, and, and they usually have five goals. And before you start, I can predict what your five goals are going to be. And, um, and, the, and, and the, the bottom line is it doesn't move the dial. It doesn't change anything. 
And in fact, I think it does two things that are that are very significant beyond the fact that it doesn't work. And of course, the softball answer for it doesn't work is nobody had COVID in their plan three years ago. So if you had a plan three years ago, you don't have a plan today. But the, re- the, the issue that I'm really concerned on, besides it being a lot of empty activity, is that we are missing God's best because mm. we are so focused on trying to achieve our plan, we don't see when God's wind is blowing. And the second thing that really concerns me is that a planning focus is primarily attention to what we don't have rather than celebrating what we do have. Wow. And I've never seen a plan that simply wasn't a list of deficiencies. And uh, so if you come to Bellhaven University website and look for a plan, there is not one. It does not exist. There's no plan for Bellhaven 2025 or Bellhaven uh, uh, 2030. If you ask my faculty, they wouldn't expect to be a plan. And we have moved away from that over about a 20-year period to this point where we just trust God for the future and we let him bring us opportunities that really guide where we're going. Now, I want to say one thing real clear at the beginning. This is really critical. I'm talking about future planning destinations, not operational planning. So we we do operational planning. We plan very carefully what we know God's given us. So we know we're going to teach uh, nursing. We know we're going to run a football team. We know we're going to feed students in the dining commons. We plan that very carefully. What God's given us, we're going to get the best out of what he's given us. What we don't plan are future destinations where he may take us and, and what that future is going to look like. So when people ask me, and, and they often do, either when I'm, they're coming in interviewing for a job, or even on the media, I've said this on television, people will say, well, what's the future of Bellhaven look like? And, and my transparent answer is, I don't know. I yeah, really yeah. don't know. But what I do know is that the plan that God has for us is far better than the plan we could come up with around conference tables writing on whiteboards. And so we just don't plan, and but we are incredibly sensitive to opportunities when they come. You know, I, I wrote in the in my uh, bio here that this is a new leadership paradigm, but it really isn't. It's actually the oldest one out there. In Genesis 15, God said, go to, to um, Abraham, go to the land, I will show you. And what you're saying is we're going back to a biblical model, and we're essentially repenting of the business model that we've allowed to sneak into the church. You you wrote this in your book. You said, it's almost bewildering to those who have never experienced. So can you dive in deeper, this opportunity and leadership? You say it's grounded in waiting on the anticipation for God-given opportunities. How do we recognize those? Yeah, um, the the uh, first of all, let's get a framework because yes. I think it's helpful for people to have an image. And the image we use on our campus um, uh, that I developed when we first rolled this out in 2002 was the image of a powerboat versus a sailboat. And you know, in the church, we have gotten very good at building powerboats where we go that go where we think God wants us to go, but they completely ignore the wind. Mm. And we're pretty impressed with our power boats. We really are. And, uh, you know, and we hire consultants to help us build even better or more powerful power boats to go where we think God wants us to go. Um, and, and, and it's understandable because that's what the world measures as success. 
That's what board members measure success. A lot of things involved in that. Instead, we want to be a sailboat prepared to catch the wind of God and go only where God's wind takes us. And so we use this image of a sailboat and, uh, and a sailing, you know, and, and, you know, you're in the Pacific Northwest where they do some sailing. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're in a powerboat, there's not much preparation. You jump in, turn on the gas and you go. Uh, if you're in a sailboat, you got to be ready. You got to do a lot of preparation. You got to do a lot of maintenance. You got to have the team ready. You got to be sensitive to the wind. You've got to be sensitive to how the boat interacts with the with the waves and how every piece of that boat is working together in order to catch that wind. It's a very different approach to leadership because it it is a a sensitivity, and then when that wind does come, to really go with it wherever it takes us. And what I find is that God's wind usually blows very, very gently at the beginning, mm. very gently. And that's part of why we miss it, because we're so focused on our plan to go in our powerboat where we think we ought to go. We, we, don't, uh, we don't even sense that God's given opportunities. And so how to, to, to your question about how do you know which opportunities comes down to three things, mission, gifting, and capacity. Oh. So what's our what's our mission? We got to know our mission so well, and whether that be a ministry organization or a business, um, you know, I mean, and this stuff does does work in, in business. You know, Jim Jim Morgan, the president of Krispy Kreme, did an endorsement for the book. He said, "This is what we did to turn Krispy Kreme around. This is this works," and um, you know, so or it's a family. Or it's a family. So we got to know our mission. What are what has God called us to do that's unique and different and 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 so focused that we don't stray from that mission? And so I asked some pretty hard questions in the book about mission. And then gifting. What are we good at? And uh, you know, you mentioned in the intro that we have a program in China and and we had an opportunity to come. If we have time, I'll tell you the story. But but um, uh, you know, we're good at that. So so we know what we're good at. And then capacity. And sometimes you got capacity and sometimes you don't have capacity. And uh, and you've got to trust that uh, those moments because because life is not all even. There, there are times of sprints and there are times of, of uh, waiting. And, and so I look at mission gifting and capacity and this sensitivity to the win. And then when that happens, probably the kicker on the whole thing is this, that we expect God to bring us opportunities. I think most Christians don't really expect God to bring opportunities. We kind of act like, well, God throws us the keys to the car. It's our job to drive it and run it, and he'll kind of hover over. But but we've got to make this happen in order to honor the Lord. No, it's his name on this university. It's not my name on this university. Uh, You know, he's going to take it where he wants to take it. And so it does come down to this what I call a theology of trust. We, we, we preach trust pretty well. We preach God's sovereignty, but especially in leadership, we don't act that way. We think it's our responsibility, and we really need to let go with an absolute, complete trust in what God's got in store for us. And when we do, it's amazing what the results can be. Yeah, man, this is so good, Roger. I have to go back and reread the book because I was, it was, it was a new paradigm from what I had learned in the last 30 years, even though biblically I see this paradigm working 
uh, daily. I was actually going to ask you about the power boat versus sailboat analogy. You About that, you wrote, we need the courage to break this cycle of dependency on the powerboat of planning and instead put our trust in the sailboats of opportunity prepared to grow wherever the wind might take us. Now, that statement puts a lot of pressure on leadership. What is that pressure? Um, it relieves the pressure for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know? I understand. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's wonderful. I don't feel under pressure. <laughs> this is God's deal. It's not my deal. I just happen to be here. And, uh, you know, so it, it really does relieve the pressure for me. But but here, I think it's important to understand the deficiencies of the traditional planning model, whether that be your your business or your family or your uh, or your ministry or your church. First of all, we aim for targets we know we can hit. Ah. And yeah, they stretch a little bit, but we, we pretty much aim for targets we know we can hit. And I gave an illustration in the book uh, of this that I, we were about a dozen years into planning, out of planning, excuse me, we'd given up on planning. I went into my board one day and I put down a piece of paper in front of them and said, five year plan. And, um, and of course, they looked at me funny because they knew we didn't plan. And I started to walk through it. There were 72 points yeah. to it. But the major point was five points were this. First of all, we're going to increase the enrollment 43%. We're going to raise $21 million. We were going to uh, build $31 million in new buildings. We're going to start seven undergraduate programs and eight graduate programs. Five-year plan. The kicker on the whole thing was I said, that is not the plan for the next five years. That's what we did the last five years. Yeah, I love now, that. Here's part. the difference. If we had come, if I had come five years ago and given you this as a plan, we would have cut everything in about half. Yep. And we would have felt pretty good about it. And if we'd hit those targets, we'd all celebrate. But by not having a plan, God will do so much more because we aim for targets we can hit. Secondly, it homogenizes strengths. If you're gonna have a plan. You got to include everybody, every yeah. single portion of the institution or the church or the or the the business, whatever it is. You got to deal, with, and somebody gets left out. Now you're going to have World War Three. So so planning makes you just homogenize everything, and nothing exists. We're the we're the number one Christian school in the arts. We're only 36 schools in the country nationally accredited in the arts, music, theater, visual art, and dance. We're the only Christian college that is. But that didn't wouldn't have come through a plan. If we had planned that, we never could have put the resources and energy into the arts to make us the the, the leading place for the arts in the Christian world. So, so that the, the, the third thing is again, I, I mentioned earlier, it focuses on deficiencies, and and I can't emphasize that enough. It just really does. You know, when when groups are planning, they're they're all focused on. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a sanctified jealousy, but whatever others have that they don't have, what they wish uh, they had, frustrated by what they don't have, that becomes the focus of the planning model because that's what you're trying to fix. In opportunity leadership, we're focused on what we do have. Let's celebrate the blessings God has given us, and how do we build on those blessings instead? And then it's a lot of un, un empty productivity. We're just going through the motions. And, and this is where leaders have trouble because leaders, especially in the, in the ministry world, I, I take that one, but leaders do two things. They give vision and they raise money. 
And, uh, you know, that's kind of what they're known for. Well, you take the vision thing away, all you're stuck with is raising the money. <laughs> that's pretty tough. <laughs> uh, what, what, this is a new model. This isn't saying you're not going to lead in a vision. This is a lot more active, a lot more engaged. This isn't just, uh, you know, going through the motions of leadership. This is really leading. And, and COVID is the greatest example of that. I mean, COVID, horrible things happened out of COVID, horrible things. And, uh, and, and my daughter's the longest suffering COVID long patient in America. So she'd been in bed for two and a half years. So I understand oh. the tra tragedy of COVID. But the good things that happened out of COVID were we learned to operate without a plan. And look what that did. It got us incredibly innovative. People could have church without actually being in a church. Restaurants could serve without being open. We could have presidential inaugurations without a crowd. We learned innovative ways. We learned to move quickly. We learned a different level of communication um, that's much more aggressive and engaging those who need to be engaged instead of formal process. And we, we saw all these things happen. Now that COVID's kind of lessening up, we're, we're, we're trying to go back into the old model. Don't do it. <laughs> what, what we did with the innovation of no plan is a great start for a long-term life uh, of no plan. And so, you know, and, and then one other limitation of this is planning focuses on contrived numbers. You know, every nobody, nobody's got a plan. Everybody's got a plan for 2030. They don't have a plan for 2029 or 2031, uh, unless it's their anniversary year. That's true. But why? Why? Uh, you know, everybody wants to raise a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or, or, or whatever. Why? Why these, these, rounded numbers that's marketing that's not planning and there's nothing wrong with it i'm fine with it and and we do some of that but that's pure marketing that is not planning planning is is when we let go of that planning there is just a joy and a freedom and a relaxation that comes in leadership that i just know god's got it and when that it, it comes into our entire culture, which it does for us, took a long time. But when it comes into the entire culture, it frees up everybody in the same way. And that's the real joy of this thing. Yeah, that's, it's just so freeing to hear this. When I was reading the book and I was thinking about the pressure on a leader, because I know throughout the book, you said, I don't have the pressure. For me, I'm going, the pressure is to listen to God. We have to seek mm -hmm. God. We have to listen to yeah. God, which honestly... Yep. It's a joy and it's an honor. And I love doing that. And this, this notepad gets filled every morning with what God is showing me. And uh, it's been really fun. So on one side, I battle with a structured business model. On the other side, I'm like, okay, this is what feels spirit led to me. And so I really do appreciate that. It does for a Christian man, it does create a tension that he needs to pursue God. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you pursue God and you listen to God and you're sensitive to his directing, it's amazing how then he gives wisdom for solutions that we may not expect. Yeah. And uh, again, whether that's family or whether that's business or whether that's ministry, it, it all works that way. And so, but it takes some practice. It really does. You can't do this overnight. And, and I encourage leaders, don't change the opportunity leadership overnight. You're going to get fired if you do. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't do that. that that's, that's trouble. This is a process. This is a culture change. 
in the leader and in the those around you, whether that be your family or your ministry or your business. You've got to build a culture of this where people get comfortable with it. They see the results. They get they get inspired by it. And then they start to see God work. And I had so many things happen that only God could do. And God gets the credit. And it's it's just so far beyond anything we could orchestrate to happen, and then and that's and that's the best of the best in ministry leadership is when God gets the credit and He gets lifted up. Yeah, and I wonder. I, I, this isn't a question, but I'm just wondering. We've seen a lot of guys of uh, giant business model mega churches falling morally recently, and I wonder if that's because there's been a turn to min- business model and they've turned away to us from the spiritual model and it's kind of led them down a dark path. I just wonder if that's something that happens because, you know, opportunity leadership in your book, you say demands a complete and unwavering dependency on the sovereignty of God, both professionally and personally. And that's really a, a huge statement. You continued, you said God is either sovereign or he isn't focus on your ministry's future on opportunities rather than com- uh, conference table planning begins at the foot of the cross. And, and Roger, I just think that is, so powerful for us as as leaders and our audience is mostly men and we believe that men are the spiritual leaders in the home and that men need to get radically dependent upon jesus christ absolutely absolutely if you if you think you can fix it you're not there yet Ah. you've got to get to the point you know you can't fix it and you know let's go to the home that's hard for dads because what do dads do Dads fix stuff. Yes. And the hardest thing that I've had to deal with, with my precious daughter, who's 28 years old, suffering with COVID after two and a half years in bed, is I can't fix it. Mm. I can't fix it. And all I can do is trust God to fix it. And and that's hard because that's what we do. That's why, that's why we that's why we're dads. We fix stuff. And when you can't fix it and you just are on your face before the Lord pleading for him to take control, there is a release and a joy and a total trust at a different level that we've ever had before. Yeah, that, that is so true. And we are fix it guys. And, and um, this model moves way beyond fix it. It, it gets ahead of the fix it mm-hmm. mode because a guy's listening to the wind of the Holy spirit. And I think, and we, you know, we share a Nazarene tradition and I think this call to holiness for a man, like we tell men all the time, our theology is really simple. Radically give your life to Jesus so you can understand what your creator has planned for you and then pursue the God who created that plan. And so it's so important. Well, you said this, and I want to jump into, because, you know, the biggest question that we have for men, the, the, the biggest thing they can't fix or don't have the answer to is they have no idea what it means to be a spiritual leader. In fact, many in the church say that the man isn't the spiritual leader, that it, there is no such thing as a spiritual leader. We, we disagree with that. And so when it comes to spiritual leadership in the home, uh, this is something I thought was really powerful from your book. You said, gather your courage, set aside assumed leadership absolutes, cut up the box, and let's walk together to start capturing rather than creating it. And so I want to spend some time doing that right now. Your book is broken into three sections. And uh, one of the sections is the six tendencies of an opportunistic leader. And I would like to take those, if it's okay with you, Roger, and, and transform them into 
what does this look like for the the spiritual leader in the home? So what does this look like for a man Good. as he's trying to lead his family? And so, so you have six tendencies of the opportunistic leader. And so tendency number one, and I, I personally love this one, embracing speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, embracing speed is, is hard for us to do sometimes because we have gotten into this planning mode, which, which starts with the assumption of no rather than the assumption of yes. Mm. And, um, and, uh, begins a pattern of, of, uh, cautious analytics, analytics, uh, instead of a confident expectation it uh, it puts us into what's measured and concrete. I, I've heard you know people say, well, if you can't measure it, it's not worth doing. I'm totally the opposite way, 100. <laughs> I, I had a friend who who wrote me. He took that out of the book and he put it on his wall because people have told him forever, if you can't measure, it's not any good. You know what what matters most at this university is stuff we don't measure. Uh, the transformation ah. of students' life, the the, uh, the 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 maturity and growth of a football player, the the moment when a faculty member puts an arm around a student and says, "I know it's tough. Let's talk about it." Mm. You can't measure that stuff. So I can measure enrollment. I can raise money. That doesn't matter. That's not why we're here. We're here for what happens in the in the lives of those students. So you know you got this going on, and and so speed becomes a a critical component to uh, capturing opportunities because opportunities are not like a lake and you're out in the Pacific Northwest that I love. And I love to come out there and, and go fly fishing for, for salmon or steelhead or trout or whatever. But you know, the, the, the water going by and uh, if you put your bucket in the river uh, it's different water. The next time you put your bucket in the river, instead of a lake, we tend to operate like it's a lake. And it's always going to be there. So let's take our time. Let's be careful. Let's anal analyze it. And then we'll get into here. Here, Here's, the, you know, the thing is, we miss the moment of opportunity mm. because that's gone. And let, let's take it to the home. Maybe, maybe your kids are at an age. They want to begin to learn something or explore something or kind of, and, you, and you're so overanalyzing it. And part of the reason we overanalyze it is we're scared to death of making a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just got to jump in and you got to go. And God will use mistakes for building us for something else. And I've had so many things through the years that we started and they didn't work. But every single one of them has come back to be something better later on. So speed wins. And, and you know, we've kind of got, especially the church and, and I think families as well, kind of have this DNA of a sloth and, you know, a sloth has a DNA. I mean, if you, if you surprise a sloth, it still couldn't jump. It's impossible <laughs> because it's got this DNA that won't allow it to move. And in the church and in families and Christian people, we've got a DNA of fear. We've got a DNA of, of we're pretty comfortable. It's not great, but at least it's okay. So we don't want to change. We got a DNA of intimidation. Well, we can't be like that family or we can't be like that church or like that business. And then we got a DNA of all these assumptions. And, um, you know, so so sometimes you just got to get moving and, and capture the moment and then work it out, not try and work it out all ahead of time.
Yeah, I love what you wrote about this. You said opportunities are moving targets. You can't freeze everything until you've got all your ducks in a row to make your best decision. So what does this look like for a father? When he, when a father's looking at embracing speed as he leads his family, what does that look like? You know, it, it I, I think it's, I think it's capturing the moment. Yeah. I, I think, I think fathers tend to have this plan. I want my kids to do this, this, this. I want to have this kind of thing, uh, connection with my wife. And, and, and instead we take all the spontaneity out of it. And, and in that, I think we miss the moments that God's giving us. I, I think if, if fathers would just say, to the Lord for the next seven days, show me opportunities to connect with my kids in ways I haven't before. Just ask, just pray that, ask for that, or with my wife in ways that I haven't before. I think you'd be shocked how many opportunities you get, but you're missing them because you're trying to say, well, you know, I want to have a family Bible study and then I want us to all go to church together and then we're going to have a date night and, and all those things are, are fine. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I think in the plan, we miss the moment and the moments come because we're ready with speed. Well, and the problem with moments is they don't come back. <clears throat> they've got a, you've got a moment and it's, it's fleeting. And if you don't engage it fast, it's over. And so that's, that's really powerful, man. So tendency number two of an opportunistic leader, again, we're talking here in the context of a leader of the family. And I love this, and this is getting comfortable with risk, getting comfortable with risk. Yeah. Uh, boy, uh, you know, I, I, I see that a lot in parents and I deal with a lot of parents, um, who bring their kids to college and, um, um, and they're always interesting and fun. I had one mother one year, uh, she dropped off her son and I saw her on the sidewalk and she said, well, I couldn't do much with him. You give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, and he came out okay. I tracked him, and he came out okay. But you know, <laughs> I see that. I see this. Um, let me give an example of work again. As I said, we're big in the arts, so I get a lot of families whose kids are interested in the arts: music, theater, visual art, dance, creative writing, film, uh, graphic design, any of those arts. And the parents go, "Man, I, you know, I've paid for music lessons my whole life." I've taken you to ballet classes. I've done all this stuff. And now we get ready for college. You go, well, you know, what are you really going to do? Because you're not going to make a living at that. So they're afraid to take a risk on that child's passion. Mm. And my advice is follow your kid's passion, not your plan for them. Don't take your frustrations about what life didn't work out for you and try to project that into your kids and get them to be what you weren't. Let them follow their path. And when you let kids open up and follow their path and get comfortable with the risk of that, whatever that is, it may be in, in, in a profession that you're not sold on or whatever it might be. It, when we do that, it's amazing how God will work it out. I mean, mm. God put the passion in their heart. You didn't do it. <laughs> God put For the sure. passion in their yep. heart if they want to dance. Well, if that's what they want to do more than anything in the world, and that's where they get fulfillment, God's going to use that. And so I think it's in the in the parenting family arena, that's probably the risk we're talking about, is how to just not try to implement the plan, but stand back and let them go with their passion. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I, I, it, 
I was reminded of uh, this phrase, the bulldozer dad or the helicopter mom, unwilling to let their kids step out and fail even, right? Just that they mm -hmm. try to control the, the, the world of that child. And I'm not so sure that's the best thing. You, you wrote this. I thought this was really powerful. You said, becoming comfortable with risk is not merely an organizational management principle grounded in risk-reward ratio analysis. It is a biblical mandate. So we as followers of Jesus, according to what you're saying here, and I agree with wholeheartedly, is we need to be able to step out in faith and take the chance, take the risk. We do. We do. We do. And that includes us as well, not just what we think is best for our family. But yes. we've got to be able to take the risk. And sometimes there's a vulnerability to that that we're fearful of or other kinds of things. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when you start to think about it in terms of of, of – this is a trust in God. And if God wants the best for you and loves you more than anything in the world and died for you, I mean, isn't he going to lead you into what's best? Not always what's most comfortable, but what's best. And so we got to trust that and, and move with it. And we're, we're, we're so stuck. We just don't want to budge. Yeah. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So no, I, I really appreciate yeah. that. So your yeah. your third tendency, I thought was really interesting, and I want I, I can't wait for you to unpack it. You you said flexing for implementation. Yeah, you know, in a planning model, we project every kind of contingency that could happen up front. That's part of what we do. Yeah, and so we're, we're fearful of any anything that's going to throw us off because we feel like we got to win every time and that's a whole nother topic which we don't have to but um uh so we 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 we're afraid of once we start something of changing it somehow we don't look like a leader who's well prepared or we didn't think it through or whatever and again that's a culture change let me put it in an organizational context then we'll take it to the family but um, you know we've been doing uh, an MBA in China for the last five years and been very successful at it during covid that market changed and the MBA started to go down but I had a call from a uh, from somebody in no in November who knew about our work in China They've been trying for two years to do a doctorate in business administration in China with a flagship, uh, well-known institution in America, big-time institution um, with a great football team. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and they couldn't get it done they because they're going through the process and the process and the process. And they called us and they said, you know, we want to talk to you about doing it. They called me on a Thursday. We told them on Monday we'd go. And um, and one of the big issues in that is that the Chinese students in wanted to take two classes at a time. And uh, we only wanted to take one class at a time at doctoral level. So so we're getting into this thing. And my team saying, man, we just need to slow this down because we got to get this worked out. It's going to be a problem. And I said, no, let's just go and we'll get it worked out later. We went ahead and it wasn't within three weeks of the first class they're going, could our students just take one class at a time? This is too much. <laughs> so you change as you go. And I think that's where in the family we have trouble as dads because we kind of say to the family, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this in, in order to build our together the family, but it changes and it adjusts and, and we gotta adjust with that. So, you know, uh, I don't know what the scenario is, but but let don't hold so tight to your vision of what it ought to be. Just start there. Just loosen it up a little bit. 
and and be willing to change. It doesn't make you look bad as a dad. It doesn't make you look bad as a leader when you create a culture to say, you know, this is what we're going to try to do. And, and let's see if that'll work. And if it doesn't, we'll figure out something else. But, but we don't have to be so rigid about what we think is the only solution. God sometimes has a lot better solution. Well, and speaking of rigid, you wrote this. You said, I rarely hire for a rigid organizational chart. And then you said this, instead, I look to find great people and then build jobs around them as much as possible. And I think from a parenting standpoint, I think uh, as fathers lead in this opportunistic style of leadership, we've got to look at our each, each kid and say, man, God made them all so different. Instead of Absolutely. fitting them into the sport, the father football mode, what can we, what is this kid? How is this kid different? How has God made this kid? How do you? How does a father decide that or see that? Again, you got to let go of your plan for them. I, I, yeah. I've got an old, I've got an old football in my backyard that I bought when my son was born. He's thirty now, and uh, <laughs> he has zero interest in sports, absolutely zero. I played football, I played soccer, I played all the sports, the whole thing. I imagine these wonderful days we'd go in the backyard and throw the football around. He never touched it. He never will touch it. I leave it there on purpose to remind me that was my plan, but God made him a different way and yes. that's okay. And he's terrific at what he is and who he is. And, and I couldn't be more proud of him, but, but it wasn't my design. And, and I think so often we, we think, you know, we've got this perfect vision of what our kids ought to be. And what happens is when they don't measure up to that, we start to take it out on our kids. That we is true. Get upset. We start to push them harder. We, we start to get frustrated with them. No, just relax. God put in their spirit what they're going to be. And it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. <laughs> I think I've seen that over because I work with hundreds and hundreds of families on their kids. And it always, almost always comes out different. And that's where the kids thrive is when they can be who God envisioned them to be. Yeah. Dads, I would just say this to you guys, instead of you living vicariously through your kid and forcing your kid into your mold from high school, Maybe you should look at that child, pray over that child, and ask God how he made that child so that they could live for that for God and the cr image he's created them to be. I think that's very, very powerful because we do get locked word. into, we get locked into, hey, man, I played college football. My kids got to play college football. Well, that's tough when your kids are small and run a 4940. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So there's got to exactly. be another plan here. So. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so tendency number four, let's move to that one. You said, and, and so this is interesting, but we talked about earlier that men are fix-it people, that we're fix-it guys. We we thrive in problem solving. But number four is learning to love the roadblocks. So can you tell us what that means? Yeah, I mean, this is one of my primary principles in leadership is learning to love roadblocks. We tend to, whether that be dads or whether that be business leaders, once we get a roadblock, we say, okay, now it's game time and I'm getting on my game face. So I'm going to go in yeah. there and I'm going to take care of this thing because that's what we do. We go fix that at, at whatever level. I think there's a different way to go at it. And, and my illustration comes out of the Pacific Northwest where you live. Oh, uh, when cool. I was there, when I, when I was there 50 years ago, and I don't know if they still do it now, but when I was there 50 years ago uh, or whatever, they would cut the timber up in the, up in the mountains and they'd take the logs down to the edge of the river and they'd lash them together into these big um, log, uh, you know, uh, 
what do you call them, rafts or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Somehow they connect them together and they float them down the river because it was cheaper than taking them on a on a truck. So these logs would come in hundreds in 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 bunches. And once in a while they would get hung up whether that be in a, the Columbia River or wherever it might be. And then another group would bump into that and they get stuck and they get stuck. And you get these big log jams, yep. gigantic log jams. Now, when you got a log jam and you're, a, you're a, a lumberman in the Pacific Northwest, you can do three things. One is you can go in and try to fix it. And I've seen them go in there with these gigantic steel rods and they walk on top of the logs and they yep. will try to move it and try to break up the jam. And a really skilled person can do that, but you can also break your leg or you could get killed or you can get crushed to death. There's a lot of bad stuff can happen when you go in to break up a log jam. Second thing that they used to do, and I don't know what they still do, is they put dynamite in and just blow it up. And, and if you blow it up, you can move the log jam, but you don't know what's going to happen out of that. And a lot of bad things can happen out of that. The third thing you can do is you can wait and let those mm-hmm. logs rub against each other. And when you wait and let them rub, it's amazing how often that will clear the log jam. So the same thing is true in, in our business or in our in our family life. You can go in with your big iron bar as dad and try to fix it. But you could hurt your kid in the process. You could hurt your relationship. You could hurt your level of trust. There's a lot of risk in that. Secondly, you could just blow it up. We're having a family meeting and nobody's getting up from this table till we get this thing fixed. (laughs) And, you know, dads do that stuff. And, 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 you know, then somebody goes off crying and somebody else is mad and somebody won't talk to somebody for, you know, but a lot of bad stuff can happen for that. Sometimes just wait, just wait. Let mm. the logs rub against each other. And if you'll be patient with um, roadblocks, sometimes they will, most times, in fact, I would say, they will clear themselves and they will work themselves out over time. Well, and even more than that, in your book, you said God can use roadblock to redirect us. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's God saying to us, hey, man, we need to try a different style of parenting here. Or, hey, we need to try this, yeah. you know, and. First Corinthians 6, 9, 16, 9, Paul said, for a wide door for effective service was opened. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, 12, he says, now when I came to trust for the gospel of Christ and when the door was opened for me and the Lord. And so looking for that opening, that redirection or that unjamming right. right. of the logs, right? Right. And staying with your mission. What's your mission uh, as a parent? What's that mission as a parent? It's not just to get your child to do X, Y, or Z. I'm dealing with a a family right now, and and bless their heart, they're having a hard time. Uh, Girl got with a boyfriend. She got pregnant. They had a baby. You know, went through that process. She's trying to come back to school, and mom and dad don't want to pay for it because of, of the past pattern and choices she made. And, and that's complex. That's really that complex. Is. But here's what I've said to that mom and dad who I've talked to many times. Don't break the relationship. Mm-hmm. Don't break the relationship. No matter what that path is right now, once you break that relationship, you've lost your mission. You've lost your influence. You've lost your place to be a place she will come back to. So don't give that up just in order to achieve it. So yeah, sometimes God puts in some really, really tough roadblocks as a parent 
And we just want to go in and, and fix that and move that. And sometimes it's better just see what God's saying. It. The question always is, God, what are you saying through this? What are you saying through this? My kid got all messed up. What are you saying through this? Mm. And how can I help them? And what's my mission? What's the And mission comes down to what's the one thing I can do that nobody else can do? What's yeah. that one thing? And that one thing usually is relationship. And how do you keep that connection? Well, that's what was so impressive in your book. Your book relies a lot on the power of relationships. And even, even in our conversation right now, I can tell that you're just, you're oozing relationship. Oh, and I need to tell you, uh, you should come out to Oregon and stay at my place out there in Eastern Oregon and fish the world famous red side rainbow trout in the lower Deschutes river. That will be fun. Oh man. I started oh, doing that this summer. <laughs> they're, one the only, they're, they're one of the only warm, they're a, one of the few warm water trout and they're super aggressive fighters. Anyway, really? that was, a, I'll just tell you, if you ever oh, want to come wow. out, you just give me a call and fun. I've got a place out there for you. But you, <laughs> but, that's where, but we're talking You're about great. relationships. That might be an opportunity for you as a leader, Roger. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, but, but you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about this. <laughs> you're talking about opportunity leadership. You're talking about relationships and really tendency. Number five has a lot to do with relationships. Uh, you call this realigning focus. And you said a quote, paradoxically, it is in managing problems where a leader's value is most immediately judged, but it is in the relationships where lasting leadership flourishes. Can you unpack that? Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, again, the relationship is, is everything. And the, the realigning focus is my job as a leader is to serve my people and to equip them. You know, this, this university is pretty easy to run if I hire really good people who have a passion for what, they're experts at doing, mm -hmm. and I just facilitate and make that happen. Same thing happens at home as a leader. If I can let my kids flourish, if I can realign the focus so the focus is on helping them become who they want to be rather than, as you said more eloquently than I have, who, who, who I want them to be out of reliving my past, that's when great things happen. And, you know, I give the illustration in a book and, and it may be a, a helpful illustration. you got a lot of football background, so you, you'll get this one. But the difference between a baseball manager and a football coach. And we've kind of gotten enamored with football coaches in the Christian world. And so Tony Dungy and, you know, and, and I'm here in the middle of the SEC. And so football is everything here where we are. But, you know, here's the thing. There's a big contrast difference between how you run a baseball team and how you run a football team. And, and I've got a really good football team this year. And so I'm thankful for it, but I also got a baseball team. And I've watched those coaches and, and I've watched that a lot, but here's the difference in football. It's all, and, and dads will do this. It's all about control. It's about time constraint. Let's try and make everything happen on time. It's about team synchronization. That's all oh, yeah. mayor's a dad. Uh, it's about a predetermined plan. And it's about winning every single game. Uh, you know, you 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 work with Linfield there, which is a tremendous D3 program. But if they're going to lose more than two games, they're out of the playoffs. It's not going to happen. Absolutely right. And, you know, and if Alabama loses once, uh, the, the South will probably fall off the faces of the earth. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, so, you know, that's what we have in football. And we've emulated those coaches as the way to lead. I'm suggesting let's be more like baseball manager. Baseball man rewards anticipation. It is reactionary. 
-hmm. It's about personal ingenuity of each of those players using their best common sense and their experience in that moment. It's about a lot of flexibility. It's about interwoven purposes. And, and, and in baseball, you can lose 30% of your games and still go to the world series uh, and, and, and win it all. And so it's a, such a big contrast, but here's, here's the main point of all that in football. When you watch a football game on TV and the pressure's on the moment's coming the camera always goes to the coach. When you're watching a baseball game and the pressure's on, the camera always goes to the player. That is so true. And we as dads, we as leaders need to turn the camera around. It's not about us. It's about us serving our family, us serving the people who work with, we work with, facilitating the joy in their life and who they are. And that's when the really good things happen. That is so powerful. Yeah, you had a whole chapter dedicated to baseball versus football. And uh, it's funny, I um, was speaking to the Linfield football team yesterday, and I quoted you that 29 states, that 29 states, the highest paid government official is the university football coach. That is unbelievable. So Isn't you did amazing? get quoted. Isn't that amazing? So Linfield yeah. guys heard of Bellhaven yeah. yesterday. So I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, that, that's really powerful, man. So, hey, the last trait, and I think it all comes back to this, right? We started here. We're going to end here. The last tendency, number six, is being like Jesus, you said. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really like Jesus. Yeah. Not, not sort of like Jesus. Really like Jesus. <laughs> and and here, here's my my. And, and I, I I talk about this all the time on my campus. You know, when we think about Jesus, and especially in this culture right now, when there's so much tension, there's so much kind of aggressiveness that we probably haven't seen for an awful long time. Yeah. And it's so easy to, to, to kind of lash out this stuff. There's a tendency for us to focus on our truth. If people would just understand our truth, then they would think right and the world would be right. And so we beat on them and beat on them and beat on them in our truth. And what's happening in the Christian world is they're turning us off completely. Yeah. Because all we're doing is coming at them with truth, trying to say we're right, you're wrong. And that's how it is. When Jesus was, was described by John, who knew him best, John was the closest to him. And John knew him best. And they said, who is Jesus? He said he came full of grace and truth, not truth and grace, grace and truth. He expected them to say truth because, I mean, they heard him, they heard him teach. So they knew the truth, Yeah, but it's the grace. And if we would be as serious about grace as we are about truth, it's amazing what we could do in this culture. If dads would be as serious about grace with their kids as they are about trying to teach them truth, it's amazing how those kids would respond or in your relationship with your wife, if you'd be as serious about grace as you are about truth. When we make, and it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. It's 100% grace, and it's 100% truth. And if you don't have the grace, I think we've gone way too far on the truth. If you don't have the grace, the, the truth's not going to get heard by anybody. And I deal all the time with kids who are grown up in Christian homes who rebel. And the reason they rebel is they don't see grace lived out. I think I can always boil it down to that. If they see grace lived out, they tend to stay within the teachings they've learned uh, of the faith. When they don't see it lived out, they see it as hypocrisy. 
and they run away. You know, it's really interesting, Roger. So I am very close to my three adult sons. They're 24, 26, and 28. And after conversation, after conversation, I'm always looking to, hey, where did I wound you? Where have I hurt you? How can I make it right? And basically, it comes down to I, I gave them truth after truth after truth all through their life, not enough grace. So now mm-hmm. as adults, and now they're in a more of a friend role where they get to select yeah, and determine the relationship. Yeah. I've been yeah. compelled to give them grace after grace after grace. And it's brought the relationship into a, a healing balanced state. And so I would just say oh, that to our dads, man, we got to balance grace and truth. We've got to balance it guys. So that's yeah. really powerful, Roger. And that's really what Jesus did. Right. Full of grace. And Absolutely. Truth. That's Absolutely. really good. Man. And the grace was always, the grace was always surprising. And so if you're going to err, err on the side of grace, you, you're probably not going to miss it. If you err on the side of grace, that is a powerful statement. I'm going to give you, I'm going to quote you one last time and let you talk about it. And unfortunately we've run out of time. So I'd love to get you on after your next book or dive into this book a little deeper next time. So had a great time. So here's your quote, quote, with opportunity leadership, we know exactly where we are going. We are going where God guides us and we trust him for that direction rather than praying the map was we created is accurate. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And it is fun. It is so fun to see what God's got next. And I get surprised all the time. I mean, I'm not talking once every two years. I'm talking about almost monthly. I get some big surprise where God has done something I never expected to happen. Let go of the plan. When you do, the Lord frees it up and you really learn the sovereignty of God and the trust that is terrific. Well, Roger, I'm, I'm going to make one guarantee to you. There will be seven copies of this, of your book purchased and my board members are going to read it because we're <laughs> going to have a conversation about this book. This has been a, a, just an outstanding book. It's so well written. Man, how can our guys get a hold of that book or how can they reach out to you or find more out about Bellhaven? Yeah, look at Bellhaven with one L, B-E-L-H-A-V-E-N dot E-D-U. And uh, they can look there. And then there there is a website uh, uh, for the book. And I think there's a free chapter on there. It's just opportunityleadership.com. And uh, they can they can find it there and some, some other stuff that might be helpful. Well, I, hey, I sure have appreciated you coming on the show today, sharing your wisdom and experience. It's just been uh, truly an honor. It's a treat for me. What and thanks for all you're doing to help guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We need we need what you do, and you're doing it awfully well. Well, thank you so much. So, so guys, listen, guys, let's get our boots on the ground. What are we going to do next because of what you heard today? And something Roger said really stood out to me. So here is your action item for this week. For the next seven days, I want you to ask God to show you opportunities to connect with your wife and kids. So for the next seven days, pray this prayer. God, show me opportunities to connect with those I love. And man, I look forward to hearing the hero stories pouring in from all over the world. Guys, make sure you head on over to meninthereader.org. Grab your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. While you're there, sign up for the launch of our fall program by clicking the Join Our Program button. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Look for the opportunity and be a man.
You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.